in putting together the viewings and readings for this course, uh, Cinema of the Black Atlantic, I decided to pair these two films, Zulu and Battle of Algiers, uh, for a single week's worth of discussion, of viewing and discussion. I think to anyone <clears throat> who knows the two films, it's a deeply unintuitive, even counterintuitive pairing. So I thought it was worth spending a little bit of time talking about why I paired the two films. And then really out of the puzzle of why pair these films, what am I trying to get at in this pairing or get out of this pairing, I think it helps to reveal some of the themes I wanted to draw from the two films and uh, in their relationship, which is both for me complementary but also um, uh, productive in its uh, stark and even at times radical uh, juxtaposition. I paired them together because both films came out around the same time, uh, just in the wake of the waves of independence across Africa and the rest of the colonized world, but Africa in particular. Zulu, of course, is an historical piece, um, and it it indulges, uh, you know, some bits of fiction, but is largely an historical film about the Battle at Rourke's Drift, in which a small group of British soldiers hold off a fairly substantial numbering in the thousands, according to myth, who knows uh, reality at some level, but uh, we can say, uh, you know, reportedly thousands of Zulu warriors. So the British soldiers and the Zulu soldiers uh, fight an actual battle, and this is uh, a Cy Enfield's rendering of it. Battle of Algiers is a similar kind of decisive moment uh, documented in, um, in Algeria's independence struggle. And that film is not about, you know, the heroism of the colonizer. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's it's about the brutality of the French, their, their unapologetic uh, indulgence of, of torture and related techniques, um, you know, as well as uh, mass uh, killings, assassinations, and so forth. And the two films take very different sides. Zulu, on the one hand, I think is, is because it's an historical piece, wants to place itself in a position of neutrality. It's just telling about this story of the battle at Rourke's Drift and the, the honor, I guess, the heroism of British soldiers and Zulu soldiers at the same time, although in a secondary kind of way for the Zulu soldiers. Whereas Battle of Algiers absolutely picks the Algerian side in the independence struggle and um, elevates it in cinematically. So in putting them together, I think on the one hand, you could say, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've really mismatched because they're from different historical periods, you know, 100 years apart in terms of, of moments in history. Um, they also have very different politics, right, in terms of, of, of honoring British heroism and honoring Algerian heroism, which I think is, is one way of thinking about the, the opposition of the two films. But I pair them because, first of all, I think these kinds of tensions and difference 
differences are extremely uh, helpful in illuminating uh, both the structures of colonialism, right, and, and its meaning, and how do you document that in a film, um, you know, whichever side you take, quote unquote, side you take. I, I don't know that that's a fair way to frame these films, a uh, completely fair way, but it does explain a lot. But the, the films that take different sides nevertheless tell a story. And in telling a story, they really, for me, are two films about how cinema can help us form the memory of colonialism, right? How it actually uh, is remembered, right? And how we think about the role of the colonizer and the role of the colonized in moments of independence struggle. Or I think in the case of Zulu, even the question, is Cyanfield, the filmmaker, uh, actually able to see the heroism of the Zulu warriors, right? And uh, is he only able to see sort of British warriors as, as, as heroic actors? That's a question uh, for the internal structure of Zulu. Um, whereas there is no heroism of the French in Battle of Algiers, there is only the heroism of the Algerians. But both of them, both of these films are made by European filmmakers, right? An English filmmaker and an Italian filmmaker. That for me is really interesting as a sort of preface to uh, viewing the films together. When I assigned them, I listed the names, and so any student or viewer who wanted to to know the the ethno-racial national um, uh, status of the filmmakers could easily figure that out from a Google search. But I didn't talk about it until the very end of our discussion in class because I wanted to sort of sit with this, you know, um, with the films themselves rather than interrogating the authors of the films. But then at the end also revisit our conversations and our thoughts about the films and how our thoughts about those films may be informed by elements of the authors of the films, or the directors of the films, right? Pontecorvo and, and, and Enfield. I think when we talk about that authorship, it can't simply be a racial authorship, and that's, that's something I want to talk about uh, in just a short bit. But for me, there are this shared project of, of using or thinking about cinema as something that can form and, and, and uh, cultivate a sense of, of memory of colonialism is so important. How do we remember colonialism? Do we see it as a site of atrocity or do we see it as a site of struggle? And I think that Zulu, you know, it, at its very best in terms of like the ethics and politics of the film, the ethics and politics I would want to see, right? Which is frankly to choose the side of the colonized and understand uh, the extractive, violent, and even at times genocidal uh, activity of colonial rule. Um, you know, uh, whatever its politics around that, right? It is a film that is, is deeply invested in understanding British colonialism in this place, in this moment, right? In South Africa, where they are not the only colonial or settler force, right? But are the dominant, in terms of the film, the dominant line of defense, for anti-colonial insurgencies from, from uh, the Zulu army. And in thinking then about the memory of British colonialism, Enfield is really invested in this notion of 
of struggle, right? That the British struggled to um, fight with dignity and integrity and heroism. And I think he wants, I don't think he does a very good job of it, but he very much wants us to see the Zulu soldiers as fundamentally heroic, right? And taking great sacrifices to do something. And I say to do dot, dot, dot something, because this is one of the major features of Zulu is that it doesn't tell us anything about the Zulu army, about Zulu desires. It's very important for me, and actually, like, I will be honest, it's shocking to see Enfield put together a film in which the Zulu language is featured, but it is not subtitled. That is, he allows the Zulu army and Zulu leadership to be fundamentally opaque. What is gained by that sense of opacity of the Zulus? Right, whether it's the king and his, um, you know, other leadership structure at the very beginning of the film, um, when they're meeting with uh, the Swedish uh, missionary uh, and his daughter, uh, whether it's that moment where they sort of, you know, all we get is a little bit of playfully sort of translated by the Zulu king himself, little playfully translated um, bits of dialogue, right, where he says, "This is what they're saying. This is what we're thinking." But otherwise, the Zulus remain opaque. Now, I'm attentive to the idea. I'm not, I don't believe it's actually Enfield's intention. But to the idea that in, in allowing the other in the film, in this case, the Zulu is the other of the British um, in the film, that allowing the other in the film to remain opaque is a way uh, to not colonize that other's voice. I think that's always a possibility or sort of in this case, it would be an offshoot or sort of accidental quality of the film's composition. I don't know that that's Enfield's intention. I think rather what Enfield is doing by leaving the Zulu army's um, language untranslated for us is to make sure that we don't lose focus on who are the primary heroes in the film, right? And it's not the British defending colonialism. I think that's a very important thing to remember in the film. It's not the British or, uh, defending um, colonialism that makes them heroes. It's that they fight without fear, that they fight in small numbers and defeat a much larger army. In that way, it's a, an underdog story, which is this, this like hysterical kind of irony that that Enfield and anyone retelling that story would see the British as fundamentally heroic and underdogs, right? That old thing about how the, the sun never sets on the British Empire, like how can you have basically occupied every time zone in the world and still count yourself among uh, the underdog, simply because you're outnumbered on this one particular outpost in Southern Africa. But <clears throat> I think it's important that that the that that need to focus on that sense of heroism is both about British national character, right? To talk about the virtues of the British, to talk about the virtues of an army that fights out of a sense of duty, right? That they're not fighting out of a sense of hatred. 
Dutch settlers uh, ride by the cavalry right at the beginning of the uh, first third of the film. They ride by and the British army says, stay with us, stay with us and fight. And it's important that that cavalry, for as much as the British soldiers initially imagined them to be a saving force, right? Military supplements or, you know, a backup that maybe will allow this defense of, of the mission because they're defending a missionary outpost uh, to go better, right? That they won't all die. But it, what's important to me is not that interchange necessarily, I, though I think it does say a little bit about uh, the colonial relations, right? That that the the settlers, the Dutch settlers there are settlers for life, right? For generations. And the British soldiers are really there in a sort of defense mode. But what's important about that interchange, what, about that scene to me, is that um, that the 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 Dutch come by and they talk about what savages and what brutal um, uh, murderers the Zulu army is, and they ride away like we're not going to do that again. And so it's you know their own response to conflict is to fear the savagery of the Zulu. But that is cast by Enfield in the film as absolutely the wrong way, right, to, to put it in a kind of boring way, but the wrong way to understand the Zulu army, right? Because what we come to find out in, in the, the, the main body of the film, right, the battle scene after battle scene after battle scene, it's a little bit of a boring film that way, honestly. But what we find is that, you know, they're not, quote, savages, right? They don't fight in any way except to the best of their capacities in a conflict. That's why at the end the Zulu uh, army sings uh, a song uh, to honor the heroism of, of the British, right? And then the British sing a, a song back. I'll talk, uh, we can talk, I can talk more about that in a bit, but that idea of the sort of dignity of the Zulu army is juxtaposed to the way this other settler group understands the Zulu army. And in that, Enfield, I think, wants to off, try to offer us a complicated sense of what the English or what the British were doing in this battle of Rourke's Drift, right? Because what he's trying to tell us is that the British fought like the British fight, out of a sense of, of, of duty, out of a sense of higher purpose, that one is there to defend and one defends to the death, right? One doesn't flee out of fear one doesn't flee to fight another day one will fight to the death because that's what duty requires and there's something so important about the way the the british army they never take off their uniforms they never take off their helmets or their hats right they're always dressed for battle right whereas the cavalry right the other settler class come by and they're just ragtag in their sort of work clothes there's a sense in which they are not an organized army. They don't have the national character of the English. And therefore, to come back sort of full circle here, they are unable to honor the heroism of the Zulu army. Now, I say all of this about honoring the heroism of the Zulu army, right, with um, a, more than a little bit of irritation because it's, it's honoring their willingness to die by the thousands, right, um, and somehow that's made equivalent to the English, to the British being able, being willing to die by the dozens in this battle. But they are fighting for two very different things. 
One is fighting to defend a missionary outpost, to defend uh, settler colonialism, not administration from afar, but settler colonialism. And the other is fighting for the independence of the land. At least we assume that's what the Zulu army is fighting for, independence of the land. We don't actually get that story from Enfield. That's part of the opacity of the Zulus. Their language is not translated in subtitles, and we have no translation of their motives in this. We have to impute them. That's, I think, what makes the film very dangerous, is that it just as easily is about the heroism of two armies in an impossible situation as it is, look how heroic the British are fighting off this army that has no purpose or aim other than a desire to fight war. Right? Both of those are completely plausible readings when you leave the Zulu voiceless. <clears throat> but if we switch to um, to uh, Battle of Algiers, I think it's important to note that, that in choosing a side uh, of the Algerians, right, Ponte Corvo in the film, so therefore the film itself, is always telling a story of, of Algerian uh, sacrifice, um, Algerian ingenuity in terms of fighting guerrilla warfare uh, in a city uh, with very little, very few resources, completely overwhelmed and outnumbered by uh, French military and police forces. But nevertheless, they are able to to basically bleed the French through terrorism and assassination, bleed the French out of Algeria, right to the point of the independence of the nation. But in doing that. It's also important to me in terms of the differences between uh, Zulu and Battle of Algiers that Battle of Algiers articulates the position of both sides of the conflict, right? There's no opacity in this. We know exactly what the French want. The French uh, generals uh, and leadership talk explicitly about what happened in Indochina, right? What we now call Vietnam. What happened in Indochina can't happen in Algeria. And so in that way, I think there's something really interesting about the nation, right? About the colonial nation that emerges in the juxtaposition of these two films, that it's about British character, right? And the sense of duty among British soldiers, no matter what the ultimate mission, right? Which makes the British heroic. But what the French are saying, and Ponte Corvo doesn't want to sympathetic to them at all, and it would be near impossible, if not absolutely impossible, to be sympathetic to the French police and military. But their motivations are articulated, and it's not out of a sense of character, but out of a sense of national pride, that having been defeated in Indochina, we cannot be defeated here in Algeria, and we cannot be defeated here in Algiers. Right at some point, they talk about how the the you know the the city is easier to fight to defeat the the resistance than the countryside because it's smaller and more concentrated. What we find out in the film, of course, is that the opposite is true. That the density of Algiers makes it possible for terrorism and terrorist warfare uh, techniques to rally the people against the French to instill a sense of fear in the French police and the French army, but also the Pied Noir class, right? The class of settlers, multiple generations, but nevertheless French European settlers in Algiers, right? Enough to motivate uh, an, an eventual exit. 
So what initially is described by the, the French army as, as what makes Algiers an easy place to fight war is exactly the conditions that lead to the impossibility of the French actually winning this war. So for me, there's a really interesting way that, that the way we understand the character and motivations of the colonizer is so important to how we understand and remember colonial history, the meaning, ultimate significance of colonialism. And that both films are trying to tell a story about those motivations of the colonizer in order to help us understand in part the colonized, but also, you know, why colonialism ends the way that it does, right? The why colonialism is then remembered as it is and as it was. So that sense of British duty is really important because it gives an exit to the to colonial guilt to say what happened was atrocious. Right, we committed atrocities for for centuries, right? But so many heroic battles were fought out of a sense of duty because that's just the British being British. That is a really provocative thing to say. It enables, as some of our readings pointed out, has enabled emergent right-wing movements who are very concerned with preserving the white, uh, uh, the whiteness of England and the whiteness of English character, right? That sense of duty, that sense of nationalism, that sense of sacrifice, to preserve that through a reinvention and rememory of colonialism. And, and Zulu, whatever Enfield's intention, enables that kind of narrative because of the opacity it, to which it condemns the Zulu army and to the Zulu and the Zulu nation. Whereas in Battle of Algiers, I think what Pontecorvo is trying to do from a European perspective is to expose um, the sense of vanity and cruelty and pride that was at the heart of colonial atrocities. That what happened in Algiers was not just this is what happens in independence struggles. That's one argument he could have made. He could have just said, this is what happens in, in independence struggles. You, you, you know, people die, people are killed, and um, battles are fought, and then eventually somebody wins and either conquest is successful or independence is achieved. But he doesn't tell that. What he wants us to see is that all of this conflict is driven by a sense of French pride or a sense, maybe better, of wounded French pride. That is, in Indochina, and I think hearkening back to World War II, right, in the occupation by the Germans, this sense among the French of, we've been defeated too many times, we're going to make our stand here in Algeria. This is a colony that matters. This is a colony we are going to keep, and we're going to prove that we are capable of this kind of power in the world. And they go about proving that, uh, as you know from the film, if you've seen it, uh, through uh, torture, assassination, and mass killings. I will say, as a way of sort of transitioning out of this, for me there are two signals, uh, a signal in each film that overlap in really interesting ways. And um, it at the... the um, timestamp of around 10 minutes 50 seconds in Zulu there's a moment of panic among uh, between the um, 
the uh, Swedish preacher and his daughter. And Enfield pays a lot of attention to the to the to the daughter's uh, to the Swedish daughter's um, anguished face. That she's fearful, she's scared, she's you know having us almost like a psychotic break out of fear because she can't understand what the Zulus are saying, what they're singing, what they're chanting, why they're dancing, why they are gathering in this place. So in that moment, and then she's grabbed by somebody, you know, who saying like, you know, we can only guess, but seems to be saying like, should we kill her? And then he's killed by another Zulu uh, soldier. And then um, the father and daughter, white father and daughter drive off. But her anguished face motivates so much of the film's action and intentionally so. Right, that is that a woman's tears, that a woman's anguish is going to be what rallies and what sustains this necessity of defense. I think it is in that way the sentimentalist dimension to an otherwise duty-bound British army. The British army is largely duty-bound, right, as I'd said before, but it has to also be informed by this protection of, of the white woman, right? And the way that drives the conscience of the film is so important. But there's a similar moment in Battle of Algiers where um, uh, one of the one of the the one of the the terrorists or, or revolutionaries, however you want to say it, terrorist in the film is not a, a pejorative; it's a technique, right? So one of the terrorists, one of the Algerian terrorists in the film, part of this uh, this this resistance cell is arrested by the police and no one knows where he is. And there's this shot of his mother as she's on the rooftop talking to some of the leadership, uh, you know, the main, some of the main characters in the film. And she starts to walk off and she's saying, you know, I can't find my son. I don't know where he is. And she turns. And Ponte Corvo has this incredibly beautifully crafted shot of her face. And it is one of the most careful shots in the whole film and so it really stood out for me i mean in generally battle of algiers is really carefully shot i think it's a very well crafted film zulu i think is trying to get this big spectacle of battles and this amazing like eastern cape uh uh you know landscape uh so it's very beautiful in that way but battle of algiers is more you know, I would call it like a sort of politically artsy film, right? It's, it's a lot of play with light, a lot of um, really interesting faces featured in the film, and the camera really takes advantage of that. But in the case of filming this mother's anguish, right, of, of anguish at, at not being able to find her son or know even what happened to him if he's dead or alive, Right, Ponte Corvo takes his own filmmaking to a different level. And it's sort of like the film pauses for a moment. In the same way that Zulu pauses for a moment over the, the white woman's face, this pauses over the face of this Algerian mother. And that face becomes also the conscience of the film. Right, that In other words, that what one is fighting for in this moment of of independence struggle is not an abstract notion of the nation. It's not an abstract notion or even concrete visceral notion of revenge and setting things right, but is instead this, uh, you know, you know that, that the Algerian independence struggle is for mothers, right? It's for this woman, 
so that her she would be reunited with her son, that they would be reunited outside of chaos, outside of political domination, outside of terroristic violence and assassination. And then that way, like the, the woman's face in Zulu, the woman's face in Battle of Algiers motivates the conscience of the film. And when we start talking about motivating the conscience of the film, I think we get into some of the most interesting aspects of what it means to forge and form and and try to calcify, try to establish a sense of colonial memory. And what's happening here is colonial memory is sort of wandering across both films in multiple ways, as it should be, because these are complicated situations with multiple dimensions to be documented. But both are anchored in these shots of a woman's face. And I think that sense of the nation and the mother, the nation and the daughter, right? Duty and sacrifice and the mother and the daughter, right? That this as a motif is really interesting to me. It's as if the story of colonialism couldn't be told in either way, right? As this sort of neutral, tending towards sympathetic to the English or British in Zulu and absolutely on the side of the Algerians in Battle of Algiers, it can't just be a political ideal. It can't just be a moral or missionary imperative. It also has to be in some way rooted in the protection of women. And I say all that not as a normative claim about it should or shouldn't be this way or it's good or bad that it's this way, but simply to note that these two films, which are all about men and all about men and war, actually hinge in terms of their foundation pieces on the protection of women and the way women in both films jolt the conscience of the primary actors in order to give them the fortitude and the will to do what's necessary in terms of violence. That is both for the future of women, right? whether it's the mother or daughter as a figure of the state, or just literally all the mothers and daughters one can imagine. Right? It's both that it's done for the sake of, of, these, of, of these women, but also the way then the nation itself is sort of imagined as an expansive sense of, of woman or the feminine, right? That men in their moment of heroism fight to defend, fight to clear the space for, fight to liberate. And why these films need that in terms of forming colonial memory, I think tells us also a lot about the relationship between colonialism, anti-colonial struggle, and patriarchy, right? That is what men do and what women do, right? How they function in the motivations for each colonialism and anti-colonial struggle. That simply is a feature of both of the films. I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's so clear and so interesting that despite the vastly different politics of each filmmaker, right? Ponte Corvo is a, 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 a communist radical, you know, in all of his filmmaking and in his own writings and his own activism. And Enfield's very much just making a sort of great British war film. Right. That, that no matter the political differences between these two, you know, sort of moderate and radical, they come together in this compulsion 
to anchor a meditation on colonialism and anti-colonial struggle, to anchor a meditation on the memory of colonialism in the suffering of and the need for protection and a future of women. What we are to make of that, that's up to sort of us as viewers to contemplate and parcel out. But I, whatever we make of it, it is such an elemental like aspect of both of these films that they bring them together in it brings them together in really unexpected ways. And so what politics flow from the protection of the white woman, what politics flow from the protection of the Algerian woman, and what politics would flow from a politics that isn't anchored in the protection of women, that isn't anchored in a particular articulation of patriarchal values. We can't answer that last part because that's not a feature of either of the films, but it's something for us to think about sort of moving forward. But we can see how the racialization of the women as imagined to be protected, right? Because it's all in the imaginary, right? They're figures as much as they are actual concrete humans in these films. But who, the racial dimension of who's protected is immediately translated into the cultural politics, into the, the imperial or anti-imperial politics of both films.